Glad that you are here and uh, excited to open up God's Word with you uh, today. Turn in your copy of the Scriptures, if you would please, to the book of Daniel. Uh, We are uh, the book of Daniel in chapter 2. We are in the middle of a series called Thriving in Babylon, um, looking at God's Word for instruction in how we would not just survive, not just get through this life that God has given us, but thrive, but really do well, really glorify God, really not just kind of eke our way through our life and saying, you know what, it's all about heaven, we're just going to get there as long as I just get there, as, you know, the end justifies the means, right? No, it's fine. Jesus paid it all, that's great, we're going to go there and let's just eke our way through this life. That's not what God's word calls us to. And that's not the examples that we see set before us in God's word of people who just eked their way through life. We can thrive in this life and do so for the glory of God. And today we are looking at Daniel chapter 2, um, and uh, we're going to start in verse 1. If you are physically able, would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word and follow along silently as I read aloud uh, from Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And this is what the word of God has to say to us today. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. (laughs) Get it? Sleep left. Anyway, (laughs) time change humor. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we'll, we'll show you the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation." They answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show you its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. And the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth. There's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asked is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Verse 12, because of this, the king was angry and very furious And commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house made the matter known to Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. 
Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might. And have now made known to me what we have asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon, bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste. And said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen in its interpretation? Verse 27, Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, This mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Fade to black, Daniel interprets said dream. Skip down to verse 45. The latter part of verse 45, where Daniel at the end of interpreting the dream says this, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of lords and a revealer of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add his blessing to the reading and the preaching, and the hearing of his word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Wow. There's a lot to cover, and I skipped a chunk. So there's a lot that we need to look at today. So the first thing that I want to do is actually I want to walk through 
the account that we just read in fairly great detail and just make observations as we go through to make sure that we all get an understanding of what's really going on here, okay? So going back to Daniel chapter two, just follow along in your Bibles. I'm gonna skip around. Uh, I'll start in the beginning. Daniel chapter two in verse one. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, he had dreams, his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Now, we joke around last night, all of our sleep left us to some degree, probably because of daylight savings time and the agrarian side in which we live, which makes it really, really necessary. But anyway, we, you know what it's like, probably, to have, a, to have a dream. First of all, how many of you, you would say, yeah, I dream. I'm a, I'm a dreamer. I tend to dream, okay? I actually don't. I don't dream a lot. My wife dreams like crazy town. I don't dream a lot, and then my dreams, I'm curious if any of you are like me, my dreams are fairly boring when I do. Do any of you dream just about everyday things? All two of us. It's you and me. Yeah, oh, imagine that. So, so yeah, I'll dream that I, I went to the bank and spoke to a teller and got my questions answered. I don't know what that says about me, but that's the extent of my, these are my dreams. These are my dreams. Like, what do you dream of? I went to the library and returned a book on time. In our house, that actually is a dream of mine, (laughs) that that would ever happen, right? Because I hear it's free if you do that. So I I don't typically dream, but my wife dreams dreams that are like, she went to the bank and spoke to a teller, and then all of a sudden, the monkey that was next to the teller was spitting at her, and then all of a sudden, a clown came out that was scary at first, but then she realized the clown was for her and protected her from the monkey who was spitting, and then she couldn't get her money, of course, because of the um, lizard that, I mean, just like, sure, sure, whatever, that's fine, but that's fine. It's dreams. They're dreams. Sometimes they're really scary. Sometimes they're really not, but here's what I want to know. How many of you have had a dream that really troubled you that you couldn't remember in every detail? Have you ever had that experience? A dream that troubled you. Sometimes you're like, I remember every detail and wish I didn't. But sometimes you have dreams that are very, very troubling, and you're like, I know I was troubled. I know I tossed and turned. I know I got up very scared. I don't know that I can really tell you every single detail, but I just know how I feel right now, okay? So King Nebuchadnezzar, later on in this chapter, he ref- he goes to the uh, Chaldeans and the people, and he wants the dream interpreted, but he also wants the dream told to him. So it could be that he's just kind of throwing that out there as a test to see if these people are real, or it also could be that like, he legit didn't know what he dreamed about, because it said his sleep left him. Do you see that uh, in verse 2, in verse 1? His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. So the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So it's just something to think about. If he's the king and he just wants it interpreted, wouldn't he recount the dream exactly as you heard it so that you could say, listen, here's what I saw. This is what happened at the bank. Or here's, here's what I saw. This is exactly what happened. So inter- what does that mean? Why a green monkey, right? What, why, what, what does that mean? Why, why am I dreaming these things? But he doesn't seem to really know exactly what he's dreaming. He might know. But I just want to throw out the possibility that maybe he just doesn't, maybe he genuinely did not know what he was dreaming. Because he's asking two things, right? He's asking that the dream be told to him, and then that people also tell him what it meant. And so the people rightfully respond, uh, if you look at uh, chapter 2, verse 4, 
Then the Chaldeans lived to the, said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Here's what we'll do. Uh, tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. So there's been no threat made yet, right? Just in verse, in, in, in verse 3, the king says, I had a dream. My spirit is troubled to know the dream. Verse 4, they're like, that's why we're here, dude. Tell us the dream. We'll interpret the dream. Verse 5, the king answered and said, the word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb. So things just got real, right? So all of a sudden, he wants the dream interpreted. And now, uh, because he's like, listen, if you can't tell me what the dream is, uh, and you can't tell me the interpretation, it's not a big deal, but I'm going to rip your limbs off. And I'm going to level your houses. So the better option would like so be for you to tell me what the dream is. So I don't know if you've ever had a boss uh, or anyone in authority over you or even just read of people in authority, people in governmental authority who felt the, the need to throw their weight around, right? Uh, the need to throw their weight around. I don't know if you're familiar, anybody with Band of Brothers? Band of Brothers, okay? Captain Sobel, okay? Going through footlockers of the uh, soldiers in his unit, finding things that he calls what? Contraband. I looked up what Dave Warren's intentionally. Contraband. Holds up a can of peaches. He goes, what is this? Anybody? And they're all saying at attention, and the guy in a very disrespectful manner looks back and goes, it's a can of peaches, sir. And he holds up, he goes, this guy thinks that this is a can of peaches. That is incorrect. Your weekend pass has been revoked. This is United States Army property which has been taken from my mess facility, and I will not tolerate thievery in my unit. They're all standing there at attention, but what you can't see is the mental eye roll, right? Because it's a can of peaches. But he's throwing his weight around and showing them who's boss, which I think reveals something about the leader that he's very insecure and arrogant. Here's King Nebuchadnezzar. He's really just wanting to know Wanting to know what happened in his dreams, why bring death into it? Hey, man, oh, you're good. We're, hey, why can't we be friends? Like, I'll, you just tell me the dream, I'll interpret it to you. Well, if you can't tell me the dream, I'm going to rip you limb from limb. Very, very insecure, very arrogant, very pompous leader. That's what we see in, in King Nebuchadnezzar. As you read throughout the book of Daniel, you see a king who is very full of himself, thinks very highly of himself, uh, and also probably is very insecure, uh, probably doesn't, and as many people are, right, who are not rooted in Christ, very insecure as to who he is, throws his weight around, and all of a sudden is threatening death if a dream can't be told to him. But it could also reveal that he is that troubled in his spirit to know the dream, right? And you and I don't throw our weight around because we don't have that much weight to throw around. So we can't say, listen, tell me what's going on in my life or I'll rip you limb from limb. Because our kids and our wives would be like, yeah, all right, I got to go. Like, that's just not how it, it works. But since he has that at his disposal, he has limb-ripping things to use. He then says, listen, do this or else. Tell me this or else. Tell me about the dream. So verse 6 says, if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So on the one hand, we have the option where you don't tell me the dream and its interpretation and you lose limbs. On the other hand, we have the opportunity for you to tell me the dream and its interpretation, and things like get so great. These are two very extreme ends, right, to what could happen. So once again in verse 7, they answered a second time. Do you see that verse 7? A second time and said, okay, let the king 
tell his servants the dream, and we'll show you the interpretation. This is, this is reasonable. This is, not, this is not uncommon. We interpret dreams that were told, not that you dreamed and that we can tell you what was dreamed. So just, you know, we're going to use a lifeline. We're going to buy a vowel. I just need you to tell me, help me here. Verse 8. The king answered, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word for me is firm. You see, the, that's what I mean by the insecurity, right? And they're like, we just want to know the, the dream. We don't want to die, didn't plan on dying today, and we'd like, we'd like to know the dream so we can interpret. I, I, king's like, I know what you're up to. I, mean, I know we're like thousands and thousands of years afterwards, but I think we would all agree that what they're up to is just wanting to know the dream so that they can interpret the dream. I know what you want to do later on. You know, you, you want to speak corrupt words to me as long as... Blah, 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 blah. I'm telling you that if you don't tell me the dream, I'm going to kill you. Verse 10. They said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked for such a thing of any magician. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Verse 12. So because of this, the king was angry and very furious, both those things, angry and furious, and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree goes out, okay, they've chosen the bad option, they can't tell me the dream, they can't interpret it, so I'm going to keep my side of the bargain, uh, my side of the deal, which I made with myself, and I'm going to rip them limb from limb, and I'm going to destroy their homes. So a decree goes out. Now, for some reason, Daniel and his companions, are they there or are they not there? I'll help. They're not there because Arioch has to go and get them. So Arioch then goes to get them, verse 14, uh, and Daniel replied with prudence, and he doesn't know what's going on, and he says, uh, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Verse 15. Like, what's, what's, so Arioch shows up to Daniel and says, hey, we're here to kill you. Got to do that like now. Whoa, what's going, whoa. He asks a very reasonable question. What, why, why is the decree of the king so urgent? So Arioch explains the matter. And verse 16, Daniel goes in and requests the king to appoint him a time. So you know what? I have an idea. Go back to the king. Get me a time with the king. I'll do what he wants. Give me some time with the king, and I will answer his questions, and I'll do what he wants. So he, that, that's what it looks like. He's getting an appointment with the king. Okay, verse 16. But Daniel wasn't saying that knowing that he could do this. It's not like, I know the dream. It's easy. He was like, all right, well, get me some, because Daniel, here's what Daniel's plan was. Look at verse 17 in your Bible. So verse 16, get me a time with the king. Verse So, i.e., don't kill me, right? That's probably a huge motivation to get some time with the king. Don't kill me. Get some time with the king. Verse 16. Verse 17, Daniel went to his house, made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. There's Daniel's plan. Seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. There's no, no ace up his sleeve, no secret sauce. No, I kind of know how to do this. Nobody else knows how to do this, but I'm, I'm Daniel. I'm kind of a big deal. So he, he doesn't know. Seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. 
Daniel answered and he says, blessed be the name of God forever and ever to who belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those of understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. Verse 24, Daniel goes into Arioch, whom the king appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said, do not destroy them or me. Don't destroy the wise men. Bring me before the king and I'll show the king the interpretation. So he goes before the king and the king asks him a question. Verse 26, are you able to make known to me the dream? Verse 27, Daniel says something really wise. The answer technically would be correct for Daniel to go, yep. Yeah, right? Because God told him, and now he's able to make known to that. Look what Daniel says. He says, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king had asked. It's almost like Daniel's like, listen, I just want to preface this. This is crazy, right? No one can do what you're asking them to do. Verse 28. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, these thoughts came, and then he goes and he makes the interpretation of the dream known. No, no, more than that. He tells him the dream, and then he says, and this is what it means. Here's what you dreamed, and here's what it means. And that whole interpretation, which I skipped because I'm not getting into it today, is found in verses 31 through 45. And he ends in verse 45 by saying, just to make sure, because it's the king sitting there like this. Because I'm sure the king remembered part of his dream, maybe. Or maybe he didn't, and Daniel's just saying things that all make sense, or maybe it scares the heck out of him. But either way, he is, he is being enlightened by what Daniel is saying. And Daniel, at the end of it, says, let me just make sure you realize, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation, sure. And then King Nebuchadnezzar falls on his face and pays homage to Daniel and glorifies God. This is what happens. Here's the thing. The question is this. In this account, when did God show up? As you read through the account, you will notice there's not a single mention of God from verse 1 all the way until verse 18. Okay, verse 18 is when God is mentioned. But during the rest of the time, it's just stuff happening. And then all of a sudden... Daniel prays, and God miraculously gives Daniel the dream and the interpretation. But I want you to realize that throughout this entire chapter, throughout 49 verses in the Word of God in Daniel chapter 2, only half of verse 18 is the miraculous. And everything else is the everyday. Everything else is the mundane. There's a little bit of wow in this chapter. And it's half of verse 18. And the rest of it's just the now, just the here and now. 
King woke up, king had a dream. King made a threat, that's really not new. The Chaldeans come over and say, we'd love to help. Great, tell us the dream. He says, nope, not gonna tell you the dream. You need to tell me the dream or I'm gonna rip your arms off. Chaldeans come back and say, we don't wanna get our arms ripped off. Tell us the dream. He says, nope, my word for me is firm. If you don't do this, I'm gonna rip your arms off. If you do tell me, I'm going to give you great riches and honor. They come back to him a second time and say, please, like really tell us the dream. This is very, this is back and forth. There's nothing miraculous about this at all. It's a conversation. It's a ruler who wants something and he wants it now. And it's people who want to give it to them because they don't want to die. And there's nothing miraculous about this. And then the people can't give him the answer. And all of a sudden he says, okay, well then I'm going to kill you. And then Daniel says, wait a minute, get me a time with the king. All of this is, again, very horizontal, right? Very here, very here and now. We can understand this. And then Daniel does something and he goes inside and he prays. And then in verse 18, we see that God gives him the vision. Then after that, literally, Daniel's praying. We all pray. Daniel then talks to a king. We can all talk to people. But the miraculous part in this is very small. So the question is this, when does God show up? When is God's first appearance? And it's not in verse 19, because God's been involved from the very beginning. God's been involved in everything we just spoke about from the very beginning. And this is why I get so pumped to talk about God's providence, okay? I love the miraculous. It's really cool to read about the things that God has done or to hear about the miracles that God has done or is doing. That's really, really, really cool. And for me, is about like 0.1%, 0.01% of my life. 99% of my life is just the everyday mundane. 99% of my life is waking up and hitting snooze and brushing teeth and lane changes and going out to eat and wiping up poopy diapers and taking the garbage out. Most of my life is just the everyday and the mundane, and probably it's the case with yours. And if you think God is only present in the big wow moments, we're going to have a bad perspective on our lives. If we read through this account and we think that the way God showed up was in verse 19 when he gave Daniel the dream, and that's really it, like God wasn't in it from the beginning, friends, we're going to be missing it. Because you need to realize that sometimes we can be looking so hard for God in the wow that we miss out on the fact that he's right here, right now, at work in our lives. And that's why the providence of God gets me so pumped up. Because when I get a grip on the providence of God, the fact that God is, 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 he limits, he orders, he controls, he knows everything. When I get a grip on that, then I realize God is at work in my life each and every day. That there's not a single choice, there's not a single action I take that God is not involved with. Now, that doesn't mean we're robots, but it means that God was not uninvolved in your choice of shirt today. Because he wired you to like the shirt that you wore and he wired you to like the person that you like and the reason that you parked where you were was not because God was driving your car. No, you really drove your car. You really drove your car. I really drove my car. But God is not uninvolved in the things that happen in our everyday lives. He is always at work and he's always doing things for his glory and for our good. If you think in Daniel 2 that God's first appearance is in verse 19, friends, you're missing it. And you're looking for God in the wow, but ignoring him in the now. You're like, well, when I see a wow thing, that's clearly God, right? Because we say it's a what thing? Say it. It's a, it's a God thing, right? All right, let me rant just for a minute. It's fine. I've said it. You've said it. It's a God thing. That's great. But you need to realize, this is what I put in your outline, that everything really is a God thing. 
everything is a God thing. It's technically not wrong to say that was a God thing. It's just wrong to never say that's a God thing because it's, it's all a God thing. And the concern that I have with the it's a God thing, which I say and you say, and, and, and I get it, I get it. Stuff happens that is so beyond reason, so past your power and ability that you can only conclude that God stepped in. I get it. Not heresy. I get it. Um, the, the concern, though, uh, and and, and, and it, it, sometimes it's an act of humility, and we want to give glory to God, and we want to deflect personal attention and give praise to God, but the statement implies that there are some things that are without God's involvement. So when we say this was a God thing, it's like, whoa, this, whoa, God stepped in here. It's like looking at Daniel 2 and saying, the first 18 verses of Daniel 2 are just things. The God thing's in 19 because God reveals the vision. But the way things unfolded up until that point, those are just things. And then God steps in, then gives the vision to Daniel, then he retreats, and then just the things happen. Daniel does the things, he does the things, God steps in, boom, poof, backs up, and then the things, the things happen. God would follow through with the elbow if he stepped in. The concern is that the statement that was such a God thing implies that some things are without God's involvement. Mostly the p- things within our power and reason, the ordinary and the normal, like I said, 99.9% of our lives are without God's involvement. If we think there are certain things that are God things and certain things that are not. So take a look at your outline for a moment because I, I, I put some examples of God's providence and some various scriptures that you can look at for how God is involved in our lives, what it means to look at the providence of God. You need to realize that God keeps us existing. He literally keeps us existing. The reason, the cha- I know the chairs aren't as comfortable as they could be, uh, but they are currently standing, kind of, most of them, I think. And the reason that they stand that way is because of the way they were built. And the reason that they were built that way is because that's how you make a safe chair. And the reason that's how you make a safe chair is because God designed things to fit together that way and gave people the mindset to make something that would sit the way that that sits. God keeps things existing. He keeps us from spinning out of orbit, literally. He keeps our feet on the ground. God is not uninvolved with gravity. And we can go on and on and on. God is involved in every being, every fiber of our being. Psalm 54.4, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. My life is literally upheld by God. My breathing in oxygen and breathing out carbon dioxide. God, God, not robotic, not God's going in, out, in, out. Like he's not telling me I have to breathe, but he designed me in such a way that he gets the glory. He is the upholder of my life. He designed me to to be able to take in oxygen, to use it, and then to breathe out carbon dioxide. He designed you to be able to do that. He gave you your personality traits. Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will what? Sustain you. He sustains us. Colossians 1, 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Every molecule, every thing, big or small, holds together at, the, at, at the, the, the request and the sovereign, gracious hand of Almighty God. Furthermore, God cooperates with our every decision and action. Now, I want to step aside and say, cooperates in our vernacular. Be like, come on, cooperates. Like, come on, give a little, take a little, let's share. Cooperate. Okay, he cooperates. Not God's 
giving in a little, acquiescing to what you want, but he cooperates, right, with every decision and action that we make. That it's not that you just see yourself getting a parking space in the lot and you happen to say hi to someone to go, hey, how's it going? And you don't know that that, and that's all you were doing, getting, getting a parking space and doing one of these. Hey, how's it going? And then you drop off your kids or you come in here to, to, to church. But you don't know that the person that you just said hi to showed up and thinking, I'm a loser, I'm a nobody, and nobody ever even notices me. I'm down in the dumps. I don't think anybody even notices me. What did you do? You did like a polite little one of these, right? You didn't get here and think, I think the Lord would have me park here to say hi to him to give all the glory to God. No, you parked your car where you parked your car. You saw a human being and you did one of these. Moved on with your life. And you didn't stop and go, I think, I think what I just did was I was just used by God. No, you did one of these. Moved on with your life. You don't know how the Lord used that because you don't know what the person, do you see what I mean? God is not uninvolved with the things that you just think are the normal everyday things. And the vast majority of that you can't see and the vast majority of that I can't see. But God is always at work. He cooperates with our every decision and action. And you chose that spot because it was close. Or you chose that spot because it was not as close and you wanted to look holy. But either way, you chose that spot for a reason and you never know how God's gonna use it. Some of you do that, you know that. It's the Christian thing. I'm not going to take the spot up close. <laughs> Ephesians 1.11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, look at that, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Proverbs 16.33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Right? You take a dice, a die, a dice. Die is singular. Dice is plural. Okay, whatever. We take dice, right? <sighs> Big money, no whammy. You throw it down. They land the way they land. Okay? Why? Well, we could technically, uh, I mean, I couldn't. Brian Clark probably could. But we, we, we could get down and say, okay, look at the way the, di the dice, di dice, dice, the dice were thrown. And look at how they landed and look at the, I don't know, I'm out. Look, look at things, look at things. Things that affect these circumstances. Okay, why did it land on a six and a two? Well, how, is it, how did the dice start when you, well, okay, we could look at that and we could. The, the ultimate decision with how they landed was from the Lord. Right, we could flip a coin. The ultimate decision with how it lands is from the Lord. Because even if we do super analyze every little thing, why did the, we threw a coin in the air, caught it, why did it land heads? Well, it landed tails here. You flip it over and land heads. Why did that happen? We can look at that. Okay, well, why did that happen? Well, we can look at why did that happen? And eventually you go, that's because that's how God made it. God did that. God designed things to work that way. God designed that thing to, he just, I don't know. Proverbs 16.33 says, the lot is cast into its lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. It's a God thing. When it lands the way you want it to, and when it lands the way you don't want to, it's a God thing. Proverbs 20, verse 24, a man's steps are from the Lord. How then can a man understand his way? God directs all things to fulfill his purposes. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for, for good. For those who are called, according to what? His purpose. He's got a purpose. He's got a plan. He's got a goal. He is working for his glory and for our good. Sometimes you can clearly see it. 
Other times, you just found a parking space. But God is not uninvolved in the mundane. Proverbs 16.4, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. And if you want more, they're not in your outline, you can write these down. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Psalm 115.3. Psalm 135.6, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth and in the seas and all the deeps. Proverbs 16.9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Isaiah 46.10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. 1 Chronicles 16.31, let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns, our God reigns. And God is present and active in all situations at all times, the best and the worst, the unexplainable and the hopelessly mundane. When you change little Johnny's diaper, that's a God thing. Monday morning is a God thing. The weekend with the in-laws is a God thing. The fact that that weekend is over is such a God thing. Every moment is a God moment. The question is this, do we see that? Not if we're looking for wow. It's a hopeless, I would go this, this far to say this. It's not in my notes. Hopefully I won't regret this. It's a hopeless, seemingly godless life if we're just looking for God in the wow. Because there's just not a lot of wow. But there's a heck of a lot of now. What are you doing? Picking up my kid. No, what are you doing? Trying to... Trying to Change the oil. I don't know. What are you doing? I'm cleaning the house. What are you doing? I've got to have a meeting with the boss again. What are you doing? I'm driving home from work. The other thing is when people try to make now, wow. Do you ever, um, so this is the person that everything is miraculous and you feel like the jerk because you're like, I feel like that's not really miraculous. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Does that make any sense at all? Where it's like, it was a miracle. I was so in the mood for Coke and I got to the store and it was the Coke was right there. It's a miracle. And you're like, I feel like that's, yeah, that's great. Wow. Don't do that. Just realize that God's involved. Don't call things that are miraculous that are not miraculous because that's annoying. It's a miracle. No, they just stocked the Coke. I feel like I can explain that. It's not a, I don't want to be a ran in your parade, but. But realize that God was involved. It's just not a miracle, but that's still a God thing. It's that fine line of being like, God's, that's not God. God's not in that. It's Coke. The angels were on my side today. Ah, that's a calm down, sister. It's probably just, but it is a God thing. God is involved in every single aspect of your life. Do you think you might be missing out on God things because you're looking for some big wow and not, not realizing he's right here right now. As for our text today, would you just consider this? From the very beginning, the Lord had Nebuchadnezzar have a dream he dreamed what he dreamed, probably didn't remember. I think he probably didn't remember. But either way, he has the events unfold as they did. The Lord has Nebuchadnezzar make the request that he did. 
And Amirik makes a request that, ha- that was absolutely, positively impossible to meet. And the first 18 verses of the chapter are set up for God to receive the maximum amount of glory. Nebuchadnezzar demands someone tell him his dream and interpret it. The people say, well, tell us a dream and we'll interpret it. Nebuchadnezzar refuses or can't. Either one you pick, it doesn't matter. Either way, it's not happening. The people request again, tell us. Nebuchadnezzar says, no. And the people say, we can't do this. No wise men can do this. Uh, It's not possible for us to do this. And then in verse 11, look at Daniel 2, verse 11. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. And God's in heaven going, this is so awesome. This is so awesome. This is so great. Because he set this up to happen in such a way that it has been firmly, clearly, undeniably established that no human being can do this. Right? It's firmly obvious that no no human being can do this. He sets this up so that he can appreciate and he can understand that God is involved. And in God's providence, for whatever reason, Daniel and his three friends are not there. So Ariok has to go get them. And they're just living life, right? They're just, whatever, folding laundry. I don't know what they're doing. They're not there. And Ariok gets to Daniel and says, oh, yeah, got to kill you. You're among the people. We have to, you're, yep, there you are. You're on the list. Got to kill you. You got to rip the limbs off. And he, wait, what's going on? He has this conversation. He says, well, the king had a dream. People want to know the dream. He won't even tell us the dream. And Daniel says, well, get me some time with the king. Okay, well, in, in, in God's providence, he didn't just wipe out everybody at one time. In God's providence, they had to go and get Daniel and his three companions. And in God's providence, Arioch is there saying, I've got to take you back so I can kill you because we want to kill everyone at once. It's just more efficient that way. And what I need you to do is, and, and he says, wait, what's going on? And he gets this appointment with the king. And that gets him some time. And then he goes in and he prays and God gives him the dream and God gives him the vision. Now, here's what I want you to do. Please look in your Bibles. Please imagine the text today went from verse 3 Look at verse 3. The king said to him, I had a dream. My spirit is troubled to know the dream. Okay, so verse 3. Now now skip to verse 31. And Daniel tells him the dream. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And let's say everything in between there. We just skip right to the end. Well, the king makes a request. He wants to know the dream. And someone tells him the dream. Okay, that's cool. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, asks for someone to tell him the dream and its interpretation, and somebody does. It's pretty straightforward and, pretty, and still pretty amazing, but Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't, would probably just have thought, cool, that's because I'm Nebuchadnezzar. I don't know if you know, I'm kind of a big deal. I make a request and I get what I want, right? That's it. I asked for a dream to be interpreted and it was interpreted. I don't think there'd be gratitude. I don't think there'd be awe. And there would be nothing near what we read in verse 45, which says at the end of this, the king fell on his face. He fell on his face. Your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you've been able to reveal the mystery. But do you see the setup? Do you see that? Not if you see it. You see the setup? Or reveal, the, reveal the dream. We can't reveal the dream. Tell us the dream. No, reveal the dream or I'm going to kill you. I'm going to rip your limbs off. No, we can't do that. No, really, no human can do this. Well, then I'm going to kill you. And all of a sudden, somebody can do it. It's set up in such a way that God would receive the maximum amount of glory. And quite frankly, you know how oftentimes the Lord receives the maximum amount of glory? Jehovah, last minute. Right? All right, I'm going to kill you guys. Here we go. You might look at it and think like, man, Lord, if you could have, there's 19 verses of a lot of scary there. If you could have maybe shown up, done something awesome in verse 2, people wouldn't have been that scared. You know, we got people like quickly writing out wills and stuff. This is not cool. 
And God's like, yeah, I really received a lot of glory as a result of that. God sets himself up to receive the most glory possible in a situation. John 11, the raising of Lazarus. He had been dead four days, right? One of the greatest lines in the old King James, by now his body stinketh. How awesome is that? So he's been dead, but he's like really dead, like, like super dead, four days dead in the desert. That's really dead. That's really smelly. Lazarus, come forth. Would it have been miraculous if Jesus saved Lazarus from dying? Yeah. Yeah. But would you agree with me that there's just an awesome factor that four days into the grave, to having a dead man walk out, that, that, that that's going to trend, right? That's going to be a big deal for a while. Would it be miraculous for Jesus to heal a man who became blind as a result of an injury? Mm-hmm. What about a man who was born blind? He'd never seen the light of day, John chapter 9, and Jesus heals him. Would it be miraculous for the book of Exodus to be way shorter and, and for, for God just to be like, I'm just wiping out the Egyptians. I'm God. I can sneeze and wipe them out. Yeah. And God pounds his chest and just, just wipes them out and that's it. And the Hebrews go free. But instead he has them up against the Red Sea like they're about to surely die. And then he parts the Red Sea so that people can walk in on dry land. We've all seen the Ten Commandments, right? Walk through. And then he holds it open long enough so that the Egyptians could say, it's great, it's, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. The Egyptians say, you know, we should go in after them. Okay, let's go in after them. And there's like this converse, there's this dude watch this conversation in the Godhead, and then all of a sudden, whoosh, he wipes them out, and the Egyptians know where they stand, and the Hebrews know where God stands, and say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. God always sets himself up to receive the maximum amount of glory, and he's working in the mundane in your life and in my life. And we miss it if we only acknowledge God in wow. Because he's involved in every aspect of our lives. It's always a God thing. Roman numeral two, I put three ways to cultivate a sense of wow in the now that I would like to go over with you. And I'm doing this based on what I see Daniel doing. Uh, three things quickly as we closed. Um, first, uh, number one, pray first. Now, I've shared this with my small group. I might have shared this with you. It all blurs together. But I, I pray. You, probably many of you pray. I don't pray first. I eventually pray. Uh, I gather information, I take the information before the Lord, I pray about what he's shown me if I'm confused about a situation. Is that a sin? Nope, not at all. 
If I was in Daniel's shoes, um, I probably, I was thinking about this, how would it be if I was Daniel? I probably would have, um, I probably would have said, well, tell, tell the king I can, t- tell the king I want an appointment. And I would have done that not knowing how I was going to get out of it. That's not unlike me. So I probably would have done that. But then after that, I would have gotten to work. I would have spoken, who's around the king last night? What was he talking about? What did he eat? What was on his mind? Was he happy? Was he sad? What do you think he would have been thinking about? What's the, who's around the king the first thing when he woke up this morning? What's on his mind? This is how you, I don't know, he doesn't remember his dream. Who sleeps near the king? Did you hear him talking in his sleep? These are not bad questions to ask, but that's how I roll. That's how I roll. Give me as much data as I can, then I will take the data before the Lord and say, what do I do with this? Not a sin, just not what Daniel did. What Daniel did was say, get me some time with the king, and then he went home and he told his friends and he said, pray. Pray, because I don't know the dream. You don't know the dream. None of us know the dream. We're over here folding laundry. We don't know the dream, so pray. And he says specifically when he has them pray, look at verse 18, please. Look at Daniel 2, verse 18. Seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So I'm saying one way that I can cultivate a sense of wow in the now is that I can pray, pray first, which is really hard for me, pray first, and I'm suggesting that we use grace and mercy language. So, so it's, it's one thing for me to go and pray that God would do great works in my kids' lives and he would use them for all of his days. Not a bad prayer, not a sinful prayer, have prayed it umpteen times. It's another thing, and it does something else to my heart when I go before the Lord and I think, how can I look at this in a sense of mercy and grace? Mercy, uh, I'm not getting what I deserve. Grace, I'm getting, okay, let me think. And I say, God, I don't deserve awesome kids. Uh, I've, not, I've not merited that. I don't, would you have mercy on my family? Again, that's not just, you go, wow, it's semantics, Pete. It might be. But I'm just saying, here, Daniel goes before the Lord, and he doesn't say, show me the dream. <laughs> Help. <laughs> I don't know the dream. He's wacko. He won't tell me the dream. Show me the dream. He goes before the Lord, and he asks for mercy. He's frighteningly aware that what, he know, what he's asking for, he does not deserve. I don't deserve this. I, 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 I don't deserve what I'm asking for. So he asks it through the lens of mercy and grace. I think if we pray first, we acknowledge our dependence on God, and we tend to look at it through the lens of mercy and grace, we tend to be more aware of where we stand and what God can do. So it's not, oh Lord, oh, far far be it from me to come, oh smite me not, please be great to my kids. It's not a fearful thing. It's just me going before the Lord saying, what I'm about to ask of you There's like zero reason for you to answer except mercy. There's no, I can't make a case. Hi, I'm Peter. I'm kind of a big deal. I'm a pastor. I really love my kids. It would be helpful if you would. I can't make a case. Would you have mercy on my home? Would you have mercy on my family? Would you give grace where it's needed? Would you go way above and beyond what I could ever merit? Would you treat me with mercy and grace? Would you do the same for my kids? 
oh, God hears that prayer more. No, it's not about he gets a better signal if you use those prayers. This is not the Verizon words. It's about your heart as you pray. Your heart, your perspective, my perspective as I pray. Wow, what I'm asking for is mercy and grace. I'm not just, I'm not just at making a request. And that's what Daniel does. He doesn't just say, show me the dream. He says, listen, we gotta ask God for mercy. So you, you, you and me, we're gonna go, I gotta go. Go ask God for mercy so that we cannot be destroyed and we can know that, okay, you got it? Good, break, okay. Mercy, and he asked God for mercy. Pray first. Don't think, don't gather data. Don't, don't, just pray first, then gather data. I just, in my life, when I have, and I'm trying, I'm failing, but I'm getting a little better. In, in, in my life, when I can stop, stop thinking and stop advancing and stop moving the ball down the field and say, okay, I'm just gonna stop my time out. I'm gonna pray. Let me pray first. And then I get back into what I'm doing. There's a different perspective. And I remember, you know what? The best thing for me to do right now is to pray. It's not to gather the data, not to connect, make all the phone calls. Let me text this person. Let me just, okay, now I know, now I'll pray. The best thing for me to do is pray. I will pray a much more needy prayer in the beginning with zero data than I will with all the facts that I have gathered from the nine people that I spoke to and the four books that I've read and the two websites I've checked. And then I pray. Then I'm like, God, help me figure out the things, amen. But if I go with nothing, it's like, Lord, I have nothing. I need mercy. Help. Pray first. Number two, praise now. Daniel praises God for what he does, but it hasn't all worked out yet. Do you realize that? He just received the vision, so it's not, and then I told the king, and the king gave me a raise and promoted me, and now I praise God. He recognized God right then and there, and he said, you know what, before I even do this, can I just say thank you? Can I just praise you? Can I just say that you are awesome, that you change times and seasons, that you remove kings and set up kings, that you reveal deep and hidden things, that you, you know what's in the darkness, that you've given me wisdom and might. So he praises now, and he's specific. He's not just like, thanks, God, peace out, Cub Scout. And then he moves and goes and tells the king his dream. He's specific when he looks to God and he says, this is what you do. Maybe he's realizing, oh, 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 now I see what's going to happen because Nebuchadnezzar is going to see that you are awesome. You are completely awesome. Thank you, Lord. Praise now. Pray first. Praise now. And then finally, number three, point to God soon. So right as soon as he could, Daniel was asked, can you, again, can you, can you tell me my dream? Not a wrong answer if Daniel would say, yeah, I could do that. God told me. He would not have been lying. But Daniel was looking to point to God soon. So he says, no human can do what you're asking. Verse 28, right there, Daniel 2, verse 28. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and has made known to the king what will be in the latter days. Verse 45, at the end, he bookends everything he says. Verse 45, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Not because I'm such a big deal as Daniel, but because God has done a great, great thing. A great thing. Pray. Try praying first. Praise God. Try praising God now and not at the end. Uh, no, not not at the end. And at the end, right? Praise God like all, <laughs> not at the end. Praise God now before he's, he's acted in your favor and then at the end, praise him again. Like, go crazy. 
and point to God throughout the process as much as you can. And the result might be that you do great and mighty things for God to the point that it results in something crazy like the king falling on his face, on his face, and saying, your God is awesome. What about you? How might God use you in the mundane, the seemingly mundane, the seemingly everyday? Because God has told you a lot, hasn't he? You got a whole book of it. He's told you a lot. How might God use you to tell others things about God, to help others, to serve others, so that you might say, no man can do this, no woman can do this, I'm not super chick, I'm not awesome dude, but there's a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven who gives me peace way before I should have it. There's a God in heaven who gives me hope way before I should have it. I can't even explain it. It even sounds ridiculous when I say it aloud, but there's a God in heaven who does that for me, and he is good. He is so, so good. God, I pray that you would show us how we can see more of you, um, acknowledge you more in our everyday lives. I pray, Lord, that you would... um, We love wow. I mean, we love wow. We love reading about wow. We love experiencing wow. But Lord, you've seen fit to give us a lot of things that we think to be ordinary. That, things that are ordinary. Things that are just everyday life. Help us to see you in every aspect of our life. May we acknowledge providence. Providence. Um, and see you at work in all of our days. Keep our eyes peeled for opportunities to point to you. Help us to pray. Help us to pray first. Help us to praise now and help us to give you all the glory that is due your name. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.